Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Facebook Live. Glad to have you guys here. Welcome, welcome. Uh, all of our campuses, welcome to you at Orland and New Lenox and Homer. We're, we're glad to have you here. Who wants to talk about forgiveness? Yeah, me either. <laughs> Who wants to talk about coronavirus? Meh, me either. Who thinks coronavirus has to do with a weak Mexican beer? <laughs> Just checking. Okay, all right. Um, Let's talk about forgiveness because it's important. You, you, you know when you uh, talk to salespeople, you used to have to do it a lot more. Like, like uh, how many of you have ever been on a timeshare tour? All of our campuses, raise your hand, okay? Was that a good experience? No. I, I mean, I'm sorry if some of you do that for a living, but no, of course not. I, do you remember the days before caller ID when you had to answer the phone one way or the other and you didn't know if it was your mom or a salesperson? I mean, back in those days, believe that or not, kids, that, that happened. Back in those days, we were a, a small church, and, you know, we had to just answer the phone, and, and everybody was on, all, on phone duty. So it's hard to be rude to a salesperson when you're answering the church phone. I'm just going to be honest with you. Parkview Church, God loves you, but I don't. Click, right? <laughs> but there's always, whenever you're in a timeshare tour or you're talking to a salesman, there's one thing that good salesmen are taught to say that always drove me crazy. And that is when they get to the end of their spiel, they would say, does that sound good to you? Right? Don't you hate that? Because the implication of that question is, well, you're an idiot if it doesn't sound good to you. So if I said to you today, forgiveness is a good thing, forgiveness is healthy, you'll feel better if you learn to forgive, does that sound good to you? I feel like I run the risk of sounding like a timeshare salesman. And you're going to be like, I'm sure it does, Tim, God loves you, and I don't click, and you're not going to listen. But hear me out, will you please? The Bible says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and to defile many. See to it that, that, that unforgiveness doesn't live and bitterness doesn't live in your heart because you're going to miss the grace of God. That doesn't mean you're not going to be saved by the grace of God. It means you're not going to live in the grace of God. And I feel like we live in a bitterness epidemic right now, don't you? I mean, everybody is mad about something. I think everyone in the whole world needs to lighten up. Can I get a dilly-dilly? All right, come on. How many of you, all campuses, online, Facebook, how many of you would say you know someone who can be easily offended? Raise your hand. Don't point at them or they're going to be offended. Okay? Right? If you don't know someone who is easily offended, chances are you're not even on social media. That's what I'm saying. And it's only going to get worse as we approach the election. I mean, thank God we have the airplane seat reclining controversy going on because at least we can argue about something that's not about politics. But to be honest, when you look at yourself, there's probably some things in your life that you're easily offended about. I mean, i got to have my hand up about me because... That's not my usual MO, um, you know, especially not at this point in my life. But there's one place where I am absolutely stupid. This is a true confession. It's the left lane of the highway. <laughs> Anybody feel my pain? Because if I'm in the... <laughs> If I'm in the left lane and I, and I want to pass, that's the passing lane, I'm somehow convinced, I'm positive that that person who's driving slowly in the left lane and not passing in the passing lane, which is what the left lane is for, it's a state law that you're supposed to not be in the left lane unless you're passing, but they're just lollygagging, as my Arkansas mom would say, in the left lane. Somehow, I think they're doing it just to annoy me. 
and it drives me crazy. You know, and I mean, I'm pretty good at looking to see if it's a little old lady or, you know, a minivan full of kids and the mom is distracted and I don't tailgate, but at some point I do the swerve, you know, like, hello, hello, I'm back here. And then if that doesn't work, you go for the rumble strip. You know that, right? You get over there on the, and then, then they know that you're there. But then the problem is they may not care, Right. And I really miss my white Ford Explorer. I used to drive a white Ford Explorer, and everybody thought I was a cop. So it was great. I mean, I'd just get in the left lane. They'd be like, woo, getting out of my way. <laughs> but seriously, you can offend me in a lot of ways, and I'm pretty good at letting it roll off my back. But I have some issues. Do you have some issues? Let me just, let's go with this one. You text a friend, and you see the bubbles, <laughs> but they don't text you back right? You were bubbling me and now you're ghosting me. Uh, I'm, I, this is what the whole world feels like now. It's like playing basketball, you know, without a ref, you know, pick up game in the neighborhood and you call your own fouls. There's always one guy. There's always one crybaby, right? He's like, oh, you found me. I need to make my free throws. It feels like the whole world is like that right now. So let's just start here. Bitterness See to it that no one misses the grace of God. If you're looking for bitterness, it's going to find you. If you you want to be easily offended, you're going to be easily offended. And you're going to miss the grace of God. Craig Groeschel said it this way. Your life is too short and your calling is too great to be offended by something small. Okay? Can we just let some of this go? The Bible says it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. I'm talking about something small, not something big, something small. It's time to let it go, okay? Just get over it. Let me unpack this a little bit more. The Bible says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. All offenses. Craig Rochelle, again, said, someone acts, and then there's a micro gap, a moment, a split second, when you have to make an interpretive decision based on that action and what it means. There's an action, and then there's your reaction, and there's a gap, and you have to choose what you put in the gap. And the problem is we're horrible interpreters. How many times have we been misinterpreted when we acted for the reaction that somebody gave us because they didn't interpret correctly what we were doing? And how many times do we do that to other people? It's called fundamental attribution error in social science, okay? It's the bias to attribute our own behavior to our circumstances while attributing someone else's actions to their character. You know what I mean? It's like... Well, yeah, of course, I, you know, I, I snapped at you, but you got to understand I had a hard day, blah, blah, blah. Somebody else snaps at us and like, oh, well, they're just an evil person. That's their character. He gives a great example. You walk into a store and your kid throws a fit. You know, you're a little preschooler. There's a reason, right? There's always a reason. Didn't get a nap today. There's no snack. It's been a hard day. Give me some grace, man. My kid's having a tough day. She's not always like this. Give me some grace. Someone else's kid throws a fit in the store, and you determine that that is a lazy parent raising a demon-possessed terrorist, (laughs) and we need to protect ourselves from them. That's what I'm talking about, okay? It's that fundamental attribution error. There's always a gap, and you've got to choose what you put in the gap. And here's the thing. Satan, our enemy, the, the spiritual enemy in Revelation 12, is called the accuser, the accuser of the brothers, 
He's always accusing us. We talked about this in week one. He's accusing us, saying he was accusing Peter, and you're not good enough. You denied Jesus. You're no good. And he wants to fill in the gaps with accusation. But the problem is he also wants to fill in the gaps with other people with accusations. And that's what killed marriages and split friendships and destroyed churches. God wants you to fill the gap with love. Whoever would, whoever would foster love covers an offense. What does love do? <laughs> love gives the benefit of the doubt, right? It chooses to believe in the best. It chooses to believe that that person in the left lane is just, well, dumb. <laughs> but it's, it's okay. I'm probably not in that big of a hurry. My wife's not going to have a baby in the seat next to me. We're probably going to be okay. I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. In other words, if Denise says, and, and no, she's not pregnant. Um, if Denise says, hey, did you take out the trash to me? I got the devil on my shoulder. Right? I don't know which shoulder he's on. But if she says, hey, did you take out the trash? The devil is accusing her in my mind, saying, oh, well, she's calling you lazy. Oh, no, she didn't. <laughs> but love tells me, no, she knows I have ADHD. And, and she knows my Adderall wears off about 7 or 8 o'clock. And I have no idea what's going on after that. So love assumes the best. Scripture says this. Paul says it really, really well. He, sa he, he says, be patient with one another, with each other's faults, making allowances. This is so good. Making, can we just make some allowances, people, for each other's faults because of your love, all right? We're supposed to love our neighbors, ourselves, and we're supposed to love our enemies. So no matter what, on the small things that are going on, we probably ought to be doing a lot more of this making allowances. Give them the benefit of the doubt because of your love. That's how it's supposed to work. Someone else's bad behavior is not about you. Their bad driving, their bad whatever is not about you. Their bad mood is not about you. The edge in their voice is not about you. They may just be having a bad day. So you give them the benefit of the doubt because of your love. That's what you do. And there's always going to be a gap, so you get to choose what you put in there. And you can choose love, or you could choose bitterness and miss the grace of God, that bitter root that grows up to cause trouble and defile many. But what if it's not a small thing? What if it's not a small thing? How does, how does this forgiveness thing work if it's big, if you were abandoned, if you were cheated, if you were abused? Somebody did something really bad to you. Something did really, something really bad to someone that you love. You can't just forget those things, can you? You're going to hear Katie's story at the end of this. It's huge. Her friend was killed. She'll live a life of pain. How can you forgive when you can't forget that? And if you didn't hear Pastor Todd last week, he did a great job unpacking Matthew 18, talking about the parable that Jesus told about the guy who owed a king so much money that he could never pay it, but the king forgave it. And then he went out and couldn't forgive somebody who owed him 20 bucks and threw him in jail. And how we have to live in, in the grace of forgiveness. And, and he said, here's the key. You've got to identify who you're angry with and upset with. Sometimes you've got to figure out what it exactly is. You must determine what they owe you. It's okay to process all this, and then you must cancel the debt. You owe, I pay. That, that's how it's going to go. If you want to live in the grace of God, that's how it's going to go. But here's the thing. Jesus told that story because just before that passage, he was teaching this. This is why I want to put the whole thing together for you today. If your brother sins against you, 
Go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. See, some, the problem is some people think that forgiveness and canceling the debt means that you pretend like it never happened. But that's not true. Here's what Jesus taught. you got to put, when you look at Scripture, you have to put the whole thing together. He, when you put the whole thing together, Jesus started off by saying, look, if somebody sins against you, and now we're not talking about driving in the left lane, we're talking about sin. If somebody sins against you, you need to go to them and you need to talk about what happened. That's what you need to do. Confrontation is biblical. You need to be able to say, look, you hurt me. This is, up, this is upsetting to me. It is painful. Now, that may not always be possible. It may not always even be a good idea. They may be dead or gone. It might not be healthy for you to interact with them ever again. But often in our relationships, we're stewing and seething inside. Have you ever had that, you know, that friend or that, that relative, all of a sudden they're, they're not in your life anymore and you don't know why? That, what if A lot of times you find out later they were mad at you about something and you didn't even know it. So we have to have the courage or the courtesy to confront the issue. It may be the loving thing to do. I would hate for you to have something against me that affected our relationship and not even know it. But Jesus isn't so naive as to think that every confrontation is going to have a happy ending. So he doesn't leave it alone. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. If he will not listen, take one or two along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. This was the legal ramifications of the day. This is how things went, okay? Um, well, I've got something against you. You don't want to admit that you did it, so I'm going to take somebody with me. If he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. What? You're welcome. Yes. I know it's tax season, so it's bad to bring this up. But what he's saying is, I mean, you got to understand the tax collectors back then were crooks. They were Jews who had gone over to the Romans, and they were, they were literally, every one of them, including Zacchaeus and Matthew that Jesus had a relationship with, they were crooks, absolute crooks, and they knew it. And what he's saying here is if you've got a problem against somebody, you, you go and you confront them. And, and if they don't admit it, then maybe you say, look, if we're going to be in a relationship, we've got to get through this, so let's go to a counselor. Or let's sit, sit, sit down together with the family and talk this whole thing through. And if that doesn't work, then maybe you need to call a pastor and get somebody involved and help you out in this situation. And at the end of the day, if you get to the point where they're not going to admit that they've hurt you or that they are hurting you, sinning against you, okay? I'm not talking about forgetting to take out the trash. I'm talking about sinning against you. There may come a time where you have to just sever the relationship. That, that would have been the way they understood this passage would have been a pagan, a tax collector, somebody. We still love them. We don't flip them off when we drive by. We, 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 we still love them. They're our enemies. We pray for them. But we're not going to marry them, right? We're, we're not going to start a business with them. And if this is a harmful situation, we may have to remove ourselves from the situation. Okay? We, we, we're not angry with them. We don't treat them badly. That's not the spirit of Christ. 
And I know it's confusing because Jesus went to the tax collectors and the sinners and he had a relationship with them. But the way that they would have understood this passage, that's what's so great about Jesus. And that's why we want to go do all those things. What I'm saying is if somebody's sinning against you, you may need to remove yourself. That's the end of it. And I know I'm treading on thin ice theologically, you guys, because there's a delicate balance between loving your enemies like Jesus commanded and modeled even on the cross There's a balance between that and deciding that it's time to remove yourself from a hostile, sinful situation. But you gotta admit, you gotta understand at the end of the day, the goal of that separation is not to punish that person, it's to restore them. I know a lot of relationships that weren't mended until one of the people said, Look, you can't treat me this way anymore. And the goal of confrontation and accountability is to build or rebuild a relationship, it's 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 restoration, okay? Because here's the, here's the problem, all right? Let's talk some more about forgiveness. No, it does not. Time does not heal all wounds. That must be maybe one of the most misused cliches out there. Time will help to soften. It helps to hide the wounds. But if there's a bullet in there, you've seen enough Western movies, haven't you? If there's a bullet in there, you got to get it out. Well... Aren't you just supposed to forgive and forget? Anybody figured out how to do that one? See, the problem with that, that's not in the Bible either. The problem with that idea is it carries the idea that if I forgive someone, I also have to forget what he or she has done. Or even worse, it makes me realize that if I remember what somebody did, I must not have forgiven them. And so I'm living in that constant state of causing trouble and defiling many of bitterness. It it makes me feel like if I'm really going to forgive someone, I've got to go find one of those men in black pens, you know, that, that you flash and the light shines and then all of a sudden you don't remember anything because that's the only way it's not, that's the only way it's going to work. The truth of the matter is forgiving does not equal forgetting. It's not that way. You can have one without the other. You can forget and not forgive. And you can forgive and not forget. And and, and matter of fact, in some cases, it is vital that we don't forget for the safety of others and ourselves. If you hurt, if you harm one of my children, I could forgive you, but I'm not ever going to forget because you're not ever going to be in a relationship with them ever again. If you've abused children, I can forgive you but you're not going to work in kids' ministry, and we're not going to forget. It's just really important that you get that. L. Gregory Jones said in his book, Forgiving as We've Been Forgiven, though time may calm us down and give us distance to see things more objectively, it simply isn't true that time heals all wounds. Some hurts grow worse over time, consuming those of us who have suffered them and separating us from the fellowship with God and one another that we were made for. He said, it's like driving over the weeds with a lawnmower. It's going to be time soon, guys. Spring's coming early. Um, You know, stuff is starting to pop up already. I know it's a fake out, but I'm I'm excited. Okay? And and your grass is going to start growing, and what else is going to start growing? Right? The weeds are going to be there too. Right? And what's going to happen is there's going to come a day, you know, along about April maybe, early May, you're going to be like, man, i got to mow the grass. And you're going to look out there, and there's going to be dandelions and crabgrass out there too. And you're going to think to yourself, well, I really need to dig those out, or I need to spray them or pay somebody to come in here and do that. But the grass is already high, and you don't want to leave it like that. So what do you do? You go ahead and mow it, and then what happens? 
looks great. What weeds? It all looks nice when it's all cut off at the same height, right? But what have you done? You've just spread weediness farther all over your lawn. That's exactly what happens to us if we don't deal with the thing that has happened in our life. So if forgetting isn't forgiveness, what are we supposed to do? Well, thankfully, one of the disciples, Simon Peter, who we talked about two weeks ago, was listening to Jesus doing the whole brother sins, then you got to, you know, confront it, take it to the church, whatever, tax collector, whatever, and his wheels are spinning. So he's like, ho, 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 Jesus has gone on and started teaching other things, but he comes back and he's like, hold on, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? I love this. He says, up to seven times. Peter is always just saying, you know, whatever he can to make himself feel like he's the right guy because the rabbis said three times. The rabbinical tradition was three times. So Peter is like, because it was like fourth strike and you're out for, for the rabbis. If you hurt me four times, you're out. Three times, you're okay. Peter's like, I'm going to double that. I'm going to add one, right? I'm going to go seven. Should it be seven times, Jesus? Okay. That's, uh, that, I mean, I kind of feel like that's where he's at. Magnanimous. That's what it was. And Jesus says, um, no. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And some of your Bibles say 70 times 7 because it can be interpreted either way, which is irrelevant because 70 and a 7 was, was code for infinity. It was infinity. It meant you're going to keep forgiving to infinity and beyond. Jesus was saying, it's not about counting grievances. It's not about keeping score. I want you to forgive, and I want you to keep on forgiving, and I want you to never run out of forgiveness. Tim, my head wants to explode. What are we talking about here? Are we supposed to forgive them or treat them like a tax collector? Because I really like the tax collector thing a lot better. Listen, you can interpret this passage a number of ways, but when you put the whole thing together, this is why biblical interpretation is so important to put the whole thing in context. This is not, I don't believe this is about someone who keeps hurting you over and over again because that would fall in the tax collector category. I mean, if you've confronted it, you've brought witnesses, whatever, and they're still sinning against you, then they shouldn't be able to continue to hurt you so that you have to forgive them. I believe what 70 times 7, what 490 or 77 or whatever it is, infinity forgiveness is about the fact that some of the wounds we have cannot be forgotten. Some of the wounds that you have are not going to be covered over by love. Some of those wounds are going to come back up again over and over and over again. And you'll never be able to forget. So what forgiveness means is that on Monday, I'm going to get up and I'm going to cancel the debt. Whether they're sorry or not, I'm going to cancel the debt. And then when I get up on Tuesday and it pops back into my mind again, I'm going to extend forgiveness. That doesn't mean your Monday forgiveness was worthless. It means that there is a process of forgiveness. Forgiveness is a decision Larry Osborne said, based on, lived out as a lengthy process. Forgiveness is a decision lived out as a lengthy process. This means that forgiveness is not easy and it cannot be sped up. It usually takes time with God in prayer. It usually takes a lot of God's word. 
and every day taking one step closer to God's love and forgiveness. And the deeper the hurt, the more is involved and the lengthy the process, the more lengthy the process is going to be. There's a counselor in the area I know had a great idea about this. I mean, Jesus said we're supposed to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, right? That's part of the deal. But there are some enemies who have hurt us so much that you might find that hard to do. So she suggested maybe when you have these negative thoughts of unforgiveness, if you can't pray for that person yet, pray for the person that you know that is the farthest away from God. I was going to fill in that blank with someone sarcastically and realized I would get in trouble for it. So you fill it in, okay? Who is the farthest person you know from God? You fill that in and you pray for them. Because she said, here's the deal. It doesn't matter if it's a person that, you you know, wronged you or not. If you're praying for somebody far from God, you're going to tick off the devil. And the devil is the accuser. He's the one that's putting those thoughts in your brain. So if you're at least praying for somebody, maybe someday the devil will just stop messing with you. And maybe you can get to the point where you actually start praying for that person who hurt you. And maybe at some point, the forgiveness will start to really take and the grace of God will get more and more in your life and you'll be able to live in the place where you really want to live. Because whether they are ever sorry about it or not, they may be dead and gone, it doesn't matter. You've got to learn how to live within the grace of God. And some people are going to push back on my statement. They're going to say, well, doesn't the Bible say that God forgets our sins? Well, sort of. It says in Jeremiah, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Right? This isn't God forgetting your sins like I forget to take out the trash. God is saying, I'm promising not to intentionally recall your sins and hold them against you and put them in your face. This may be the thing you need to have a picture of on your phone this week. It's this. There is a huge difference between forgetting and choosing not to remember. There's a huge difference between forgetting and choosing not to remember. God chooses not to bring up our past and shame us and beat us over the head with it. God is not like that. Forgiveness is a process. 70 times 7, infinity. Every day I'm going to get up and it's going to be hard, but it's going to be a little less hard the next day. And here's the deal. This is hard to hear, but the reason that's important is because we can't understand God's forgiveness through Jesus' grace, unless we're able to return that grace to others. Extending forgiveness to others demonstrates that we've grasped forgiveness from God. It doesn't happen immediately. It doesn't mean there's going to be times. You're never going to be God, okay? Let me just get that out of your, you know, hope chest, okay? When it comes to his ability to forgive, he's God and you're not. But what I'm saying is allowing your heart To wallow in unforgiveness and bitterness is hurting us. It's causing us to miss the grace of God. What kind of life do we lead if we're the guy in Todd's parable last week who's been forgiven a huge debt, but we can't live in that grace with other people? What we're doing is we're choosing to allow that person or that situation to control us and put us in a prison. Instead of walking in the freedom that God provides through Jesus Christ. Not forgetting what they did, but also not forgetting what Jesus did. Forgiveness releases us to live as God called us to live. See to it 
that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Jesus didn't miss it on the cross. He hung on the cross dying for our sins. He looked down at the very people he would not ever have been able to live in a relationship with, the Pharisees. He tried, but they made Jesus mad. I wrote a book about it over and over and over again because they couldn't figure out God's love. And yet, even though those were people he wasn't going to be in a relationship with, and they were the people who put him there as he hung on the cross, he still decided not to die on the cross in bitterness and looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Hurt people hurt people. Jesus chose to forgive, chose to give grace. He chose to love. Apostle Paul said it this way, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I'm going to show you Katie's story in just a minute. And then Sanctus Real is going to come back and do a song that they've recorded that you know, it's not one of the ones they normally do in a concert, ironically. As a matter of fact, this is the first time they've done it publicly, so I'm hoping they don't screw it up. But so far, <laughs> it's gone really well. And uh, get their music, man. They're, they're a band that's been around for 20 years. They're a great Christian band. I love them so much. Aren't you so glad to have them here this weekend? Sanctus real, and I sent that to somebody on Siri, and they translated it, Santa is real. <laughs> so maybe that'll help you remember the name. They're going to come and do that. And I want to finish up with uh, the end of the Corey Tinboom story. If you were here last week, it doesn't matter if you weren't. Corey Tinboom, uh, Todd told a story about the woman who was in the Nazi German concentration camps and, um, you know, horribly abused and... and Sister died and all her family died. And she, years later, met one of the guards from Ravensbrook where she had been kept. And he asked her for forgiveness. And he extended his hand. And she had to put herself in the position of actually living out forgiveness. I mean, you want to talk about a hard one. And she, she said she just struggled. But as she felt her hand go into his, she felt the release of God. Now, here's the end of that story. Okay, That's a great, beautiful story. But then, weeks later, she still kept thinking about what he'd done to her. Because you can't forget. And she finally went to her Lutheran pastor and said, I can't even sleep at night because I forgave him. And I know I forgave him, but it still comes back to me. And this Lutheran pastor said, Corey, up in that church tower, is a bell that is rung by pulling on a rope. And you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. Ding dong. Ding dong. Slower and slower until there is a final dong and it stops. And I believe the same thing is true of forgiveness. When we forgive someone, we take our hand off the rope but if we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. They're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. 
Look, I'm sorry for what you've been through and what's been done to you. I really am. And we want to help. If that person is still doing it, you may need to get some help and confront it head on. What I'm saying is, at the end of the day, do not miss the grace of God.